This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by the Relational Discipleship Network with Jim Putman and his team. Here's audio content from the Relational Discipleship Network. Some of this audio was adapted from the RDN Media Catalog, which coincides with their sessions in the track called Relational Discipleship. You know, we're living in a time when our country has uh, so many different versions that people are pulling for and fighting for, and which, again, if, if something doesn't unify us, eventually uh, we'll go the way of other nations in history, right? And the church is the same way. House divided against itself can't stand. Unity is is primary. So in our church, we talk about uh, four things we got to be aligned around. We've got to be aligned theologically. And what I mean by that is that um, we, have, uh, we talk about three buckets in our church. There is the eternal uh, salvation um, uh, essential doctrines, bucket number one. This is what it means to be a Christian. Bucket number two is non-salvation but non-negotiable unity issues. We have to have an agreed-upon version of, of where we're going to go and what we're going to believe in. Bucket number three is preference. And, you know, those are things that we can believe differently about. They're not very important. We kind of keep them to ourselves. We don't fight about them. And the problem in the church is to keep first things, don't allow the first bucket things to be moved to second or third. Don't allow the second to be moved to first or third. And don't allow the third to move to first or second. Because people are, are always trying to put the wrong things in the wrong buckets. Do you understand what I'm saying? So how do you, how do you get a bunch of people together that came from oftentimes a variety of different church backgrounds? Um, you got a bunch of unsaved people that come in that have a kind of a worldly version on that, uh, whatever the subject matter is. And so how do you get these people together? And first and foremost, you've got to understand, it is a primary importance for Christian leaders. This is like top priority. Alignment is highest priority. And so one of the roles of a senior pastor is to uh, lead towards alignment, to detect align- a, 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 a lack of alignment and fight for that alignment. That's why Paul, in every letter, he's he's detecting and talking about a lack of alignment. First Corinthians, they're they're arguing about everything. So he deals with. Some of you are saying you like me, and some of you are saying you like Apollos. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Were you baptized in the name of the? It's about Jesus, right? Every step of the way, he's fighting for alignment. Uh, because again, Jesus prayed that we would be one. So. Um, uh, you know, that, that is the primary importance. So we talk about theological alignment. Uh, we talk about philosophical alignment. Philosophical alignment is how are we actually going to fulfill our ministry of disciple making. Theologically, our core mission of the church is discipleship. That's what we're going to, that's what we're working for. Maturity in Christ. 
helping people come to know Christ and grow up in Christ. It's Matthew 28. Discussion last night was interesting to me. Uh, Matthew 28:19 says, it, very clearly in my mind anyway, we baptize them, which speaks of introduction to Christ, and we teach them to, to, to obey. That speaks of growing up in Christ. Uh, Paul says that we present everyone mature and complete in Christ Jesus. That's our goal, right? So we have to introduce them to Christ, live to share our faith, and then help people grow up in Christ. So it, the, our goal is to make disciples. Philosophically, how are we going to do it? In our church, biblical disciples in relational environments. Every single pathway leads to relationship in every single ministry. Where there's a more mature person, discipling less mature. That's philosophically how we're going to do it. Then there's relationally aligned. Um, one of the things that, I'm not kidding you, we have churches that come from all around the world to come to our trainings on discipleship. And one of the things that, that we'll do is we'll talk about, that usually by the time they get to our church, they're like, yeah, we want to make disciples in relationship. And so we'll have these whole staff sit at a table. We used to do this all the time. We don't do it all that much anymore, but... They're all sitting at the same table, and, and we'll say, okay, the goal is to make disciples, right? Well, everybody take a piece of paper, don't talk to each other, and write down a definition of a disciple. Out of all the years that we did it that way, how many times do you think we ever had anybody agree on that? They're on the same team, right? They don't define discipleship the same way. It's like calling a play in a huddle, Right? And not one person having the same play. It sounds like the Titans. I'm a Seattle fan, so I can say that, right? (laughs) No. You can have all the greatest talent in the world, but if they're not agreed with a common language and a common direction, common understanding of things, they don't win. Right? Well, because they, they even may agree theologically, but philosophically they don't have the same definitions. And what that will always do is stretch us relationally. People will get angry at each other because they think this guy thinks he's shooting for the right thing. That guy does. Uh, relationally, people don't don't uh, work things out very well. You know, so one of the things we find is oftentimes churches will come to our trainings and they're all about making disciples, but they don't know each other on staff and they don't even like each other on staff. And, but they think if they learn a new philosophy, God's going to somehow bless their work. Remember when Jesus said, you know, if you've got your sacrifice and you bring it, you realize you have ought with your brother, leave it. I don't even want your sacrifice. Go and make it right. So they think that they can just get right to strategy and not relationally be aligned. Working their things out. Uh, forgiving one another. Bearing with each other. Why would God want to add more people to a church that's already relationally broken? It's like a bomb with the, with the fuse already lit. Why would God want to add a bunch of people to a place that's going to blow? And mess up everybody. You know, so this this relational alignment is so important. And then it's organizational alignment. So those are the four areas we talk about. Theological, philosophical, relational, organizational. When I talk about organizational alignment, I talk about systems and processes that that funnel people into a shared version of everything. That your organizational practices actually uh, move people from a philosophy you write on your wall to fulfilling that which you say you're about. And so um, here's some things that have to do with organizational alignment that are, that are really important. Uh, 
Um, and, and so let me just give you some things that we talk about. Uh, there has to be unity at the top in those four areas. If there isn't unity at the top in those four areas, then um, eventually churches don't split from the bottom up. They split from the top down. If there isn't alignment theologically, philosophically, relationally, then then it, it, you're never going to implement that in any kind of unified way, and the house will be divided. You'll be you'll have silos, people competing for resources, angry that the church gave the, that group this because our ministry is the most important. There'll be there's not a shared version, there's not teamwork, you know. So um, you've got to have unity at the top. I spend about 10 hours a week with my elders. I spend about 10 hours a week with my executive team. Uh, a lot of t- pastors will spend 10 hours a week with their, their leadership team downline, but don't spend time with their elders. Bad move. Relationally working through details at the top uh, will equal peace and relationship downstream. So uh, there's, there's the unity at the top. Uh, there is, and what I mean by that is there's a shared language. There's a shared language. Um, and uh, this is so important because uh, I, I always think about the Tower of Babel, right? You got, in one day they can do anything. God looks at them and says, if we don't do something, history is going to speed along too fast. You know, I, I got to slow things down. How did he slow things down? Change the language. You know, so there's got to be a shared language. There's got to be, we, we talk about, um, there's got to be systems and processes put in place to help people get aligned. So in our church, uh, we don't allow you to serve. You can go to a home group, but you will not be allowed to serve in any way unless you've been through our membership class. And not that we don't believe you're a Christian unless you've been through our membership class, but to me, it's, it, I'm a sports guy. So uh, if I, when, my, when my kids, when we moved from Coeur d'Alene to, post, to a Rathrum to play football, uh, they had a team meeting. They passed out the playbook. They said, here's going to be our language. Here's our goal. Here's our practice schedule. Here's our schedule. They, they lined all this stuff out. Here's our coaches. This is what we expect from you. Here's the contract for conduct that you have to sign. What if we'd have said, you know what, we want to play football in Rathrum, but we want to play by the playbook in Coeur d'Alene. What would they have said? No. Go back to Coeur d'Alene. Why? Well, because in the huddle, if you don't have the same language, you don't have the same goals and directions, philosophy, there's, you can't win at the line of scrimmage. You're fighting in the huddle or you don't understand each other in the huddle, you can't. Why do we do things in churches we would never do on any team or business in the world? Why do we do that? When somebody comes from another church, they were coached under somebody else or weren't coached at all, what do we expect from them? What do we believe in? Are you, for me, our 101 class, our membership class, doesn't just give the language, but it filters out problematic people. On the front end, I want to filter out people, before I ever let them into ministry, who are shooting for a different goal or, or don't understand what we're about and don't want to be a part of it. So our 101 class not only aligns those who want to be a part, but it filters out those who are a problem. Because we have to fight for and protect alignment. And so the 301 class, 
Every year, every volunteer goes through our 301 class, which does this. It goes back through our doctrine. Here's what we believe. Back through our philosophy. Here's what we expect relationally. Here's the job description you say you're doing, and this is what we expect of you. Every one of our years is broken into a season where we get through the year, there's time off. Then we re-up for the next year. We go back through our doctrine. Why? Well, if I took a membership class seven years ago, I don't even remember what they said. So that leads to a lack of of alignment. Um, How do I keep these people? This is what we're up. If you play football for the Tennessee Titans, they go back through the playbook every single year. They don't just go, you, you watched it last year. Now, every year they might make, sw- make tweaks to the plan, but er- they take everybody through the, the tweaks to the plan every single year. Fundamentals win. Fundamentals every single year. Bam, bam, bam. This is what you, and, and here's the deal. Not only do I expect you as you go through these classes to know them, I expect you to help us build a culture by explaining them to your home group, by fighting for it as well. In my opinion, as much as I can't stand the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick doesn't even have to fight for that culture. He's built a system and a culture where everybody fights for that culture because everybody understands it. So I want people in our church to understand the culture and help us fight for the culture. We are about alignment. We are going to stay aligned. One of the things that I enjoy right now is if I have somebody, you know, here's the problem with being aligned nowadays They've got different sermons they're listening to by different pastors. They're watching different podcasts. They're reading different books. It's like they're listening to multiple head coaches at the same time. But if I talk about alignment every year, we have people that self-eliminate. In other words, they'll say, you know what, Jim? I know I said this. I know I said I believe this. But I cannot agree to that any longer. So for the good of the team, I need to step back and not be involved anymore. Now, how much more healthy is that? Then they start a problem, fight. If, if, at least if they're mature enough to go, hey, I don't agree with this philosophy anymore. They're not trying to lead a different philosophy on the team and they step back. So alignment is super important. Uh, a weekend service is a part of the system. So how does every part of your ministry support and play a part in your alignment process? For us, the weekend service is essential. It is the top, or it's not the top of the funnel. Everything we do outside the walls is the top of the funnel. We want everybody to come to a weekend service. We want the weekend service to lead everybody to a mid-sized group or to a home group, to a life group. Every weekend we talk about here's what we're here for, here's where this plays a part, and here's where we want you to go. Right? If you're not a member, we want you to go to the one-on-one class. If 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 you're not connected in life groups for discipleship, we want you to do that. If you're, you know, but everything, bam, 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 this is what we're about. So what is the clear purpose of the weekend service and what next? Where does it fit into the process? Do our people understand that? Do they understand the expectations? So alignment is super important at every level. Every ministry in our church to our youth ministry. If I can't go to my youth ministry guy and go, what is your alignment for your ministry? What's the end goal for your ministry? And secondly... Where does your ministry fit into the church as a whole? And how are you promoting that? Our youth ministry would go, well, we have big group meeting. We want everybody to come to church. We want everyone to come to youth group and to a life group. But the parents, our goal is to get the parents to get connected to the church services and to a life group. All right, so how are you not only doing your job with the kids and the volunteers, but how are you helping us 
reach their parents. Well, we're doing this, this, and this. See, they, they, they're not a silo into themselves. How do they fit with the other ministries in the church? And then here's, here's the biggest uh, issue, and I'll close with this. When you're talking about alignment, the importance of it is so important. Understanding how the devil works. Understanding how sinful nature and confusion reigns in a broken world. And fighting against it constantly is so important. But consistency. These pastors that go to a different conference all the time and come back with different versions. How can there be a system that everybody understands that it takes time for that to happen if all the time you're coming back with something new, tweaking, changing all the time? Um, You know, in wrestling, I used to teach little kids this... This is how we're going to wrestle. Right? Very basics. As they got older, that was the same foundation in middle school, same foundation in high school. Might add a couple things, but they're never contrary to the base. We have a system of wrestling. Football. A system that people know. The longer they're in the system, the more proficient they become in the system. Consistency, consistency, consistency. Very important. Now, if they're in the wrong system and it doesn't work, then you have to shift, right? But you're not shifting and shifting and shifting to different things all the time. You're shifting to the right thing and then you stick to the right thing. Discipleship in relationship is not a fad. That was the way it was in the beginning. That's the way it should be now. So I'm not looking at some crazy new thing all the time. Uh, It's consistency, beat that drum all the time. So that's like a, I know, taking a sip from a fire hydrant. But. <laughs> well, thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. I want to give these guys an opportunity to introduce themselves. So start with you, Brandon. My name is Brandon Gindon. Um, I was on staff um, pretty much from the beginning with Jim at Real Life Ministries. Uh, was there for about 14 years. Uh, started out as the first small groups pastor and then um, eventually was executive pastor. And then uh, about three years ago, a little over three years ago, my wife and I uh, moved to Houston, Texas, and are, uh, have planted a church in Houston, Real Life, uh, Texas. And uh, it's just uh, great being here and talking through these things and, and connecting with my brothers again. So, Thanks, Brandon. I'm Josh Patrick. Uh, I live in Franklin, Tennessee, really close here. Um, I've got three daughters, uh, 10, 7, and 4. And I've uh, been married for 15 years. Uh, I'm literally surrounded by women. Uh, we just got a male dog, uh, and we're, we're bonding quickly. Uh, <clears throat> uh, we even have a female fish named Fifi. Yeah, and, and she's pink. So just, yeah, pray for me. Uh, I'm the teaching and discipleship minister at Harpeth Christian Church, and uh, I... I preach in the weekend services, and I oversee our group's ministry, and uh, just I have I have the best job in the world, uh, overseeing our disciple making processes and working with our staff to make sure that we're aligned. Um, alignment is is the linchpin in so many ways; it'll make or break you. Uh, and so, our challenge uh, has been to uh, help transition a church that started with an attractional model that was deeply rooted in 20th century church growth principles to use your, um, use your Sunday event to draw a crowd 
and to let that be your sole marker of success. And just before I came on staff, uh, the scorecard changed, and it, it was a very dramatic change. And now the bullseye is uh, making disciples of Jesus in uh, relational environments. And it's a, it's an ongoing uh, but wonderful and glorious struggle. Thanks, Josh. Anything you want to say about yourself? No. <laughs> if, if you're new with us, this is the senior pastor Jim Putman at Real Life Ministries Post Falls, Idaho, celebrating 18 years of a planted church this month. And uh, we have six church plants uh, in relation to our campus, and now a seventh starting up here really soon, as well as a, a campus uh, about five miles away from, from our church. So, um, and several of the books that uh, that you guys have read is uh, he's been a part of and written. So, we thank you guys for joining us. Uh, Josh, I want to start with you. Uh, you alluded to, uh, especially right before you came on staff at Harpeth, them uh, making some changes. But you were on staff previous at a church, and now having been on staff at Harpeth, what's been the most difficult of these areas of alignment that Jim just alluded to? Well, that's a that's a tough one. Uh, I've been I've thought about that. The church I served in before I came to Harpeth was 184 years old. And there were multiple factions within that church. Uh, and I was 28 when I took the job, and I was the lead pastor there. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what God was thinking. Uh, but I got there, and it was clear from the first elders meeting that there are competing philosophies of ministry at the table Competing theological frameworks at the table as well, and so we were going nowhere. And there were also broken relationships just for kicks. Uh, it, it, was, it was just a mess, and there's no drama like church drama, believe me. And it was drama from day one. And so every time I tried to bring like an alignment conversation to the table or an alignment exercise or let's go away and... Let's work things out or let's bring a third party in. It, it, it just it never really went anywhere. I think part of that had to do with my immaturity and impatience as a leader, to be honest. And um, God used that season uh, of my life to show me um, just some, just some un, unsurrendered parts of my life that Jesus still did not have full control over. Because um, I, wanted, I wanted to push an easy button and make the church... Exactly the way I wanted it then, and it was like, man, this is this is just not how people uh, flourish under leadership. But so in that church, the most, by far, the most difficult was theological alignment. In in my opinion, theology drives everything. It's it's the base. It's the it's the groundwork. It's the track that all the systems run on. And if the track is not Straight, then it's just going to be—it's going to veer all over the place. And so, uh, this this denomination uh, prides itself on knowing the Bible well. And so, when everybody thinks they know the Bible, uh, and you you come to the table as a as a minister and you know some theological education, uh, it's 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 difficult to convince people who think they know that they don't. so uh, that that was by far the most difficult. Um, I, at, at Harpeth, I, 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 w- I would think that um, the most difficult piece so far, and I've got some Harpeth people here, so if you think I'm wrong, shout me down. 
uh, I, I would think it's probably philosophical alignment. Uh, I think we're all on board philosophically with relational discipleship being the absolute best way to do church and the best way to do life in general, and that's the way Jesus modeled it. But uh, when we, like if we did an inventory of our time, how we spend time as a staff, what we do with our resources, how we, how we, what we do with our energy, sometimes I think every now and then we drift back into Egypt and we spend more time on events and programs than we do uh, or in meetings. Do I get an amen, half of the people back there? And it's like, can we get out of the meetings and get into the people's lives that we're supposed to be pouring into? So, yeah. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. Uh, Brandon, uh, we're celebrating that you're going to be planting a church. Well, you have planted, and you, you're you going to be starting services here soon and things like that. You've been on staff at Real Life Ministries up in Post Falls, been on staff at the Met in Houston. What's uh, the most important uh, area of alignment that you're keying in on as you establish the plant? I think the most important is to pick one of the four, um, to me, is relational. Uh, you know, giving thought to that. A lot of times... I think pastors and ministries would would disagree probably and say, well, no, it should be theological. And when I think about the life of Christ and Jesus' model for us, we talk about this all the time, he is the greatest discipler that ever walked the earth. And his initial, I think he is the model for everything for us. And he changed their even their theology about God, about the kingdom of God, he changed that by first relationally being with them and spending time with them. It wasn't to come, it wasn't come right in initially and, and through words change everything. Um, that model to me is, is key and essential. Um, if I'm going to change the, the philosophical belief of people that are coming into our church, I have to first earn the right and build relationship with them and model for them what is different. And so what's what's the hardest part to me is that relational alignment, spending time with people, building trust. Um, just last week, uh, one of the guys that I'm discipling, that, that Lord willing, one day I think um, he'll be an elder for us, um, he's been in church his entire life. And um, as we've been spending time together, doing life together, he said to me, a thousand times. She said, I've never seen church done this way. Um, I, this is completely foreign to me. This is so new. I've never had relationship with a pastor that, I mean, we do dinner together. We hang out. We, we process scripture and life and, and it's just who we are. And he had never seen that before. I remember he grew up in the church and was involved with the deacons and was, uh, he had never seen that. And last week, he had a, an issue with one of the guys in our church, another leader. And he came to me, and he was scared to death. He was like, oh, I know we're supposed to go to him. I know we're supposed to work this stuff out. And, and, and he was literally shaking and trembling. And I put my hand on his shoulder, and I go, it's okay, man. He's like, i got to go talk to him. I know that's what we're supposed to do. I said, yep, you do. And I said, and after you talk to him, come talk to me and we'll process how it went. And he was like, I love this guy. I just, I don't want to lose the relationship. I go, then you got to go talk to him. And so he went right after church, sat down with him. They had this conversation. He brought up the issues he had with him, how he was hurt and offended. And they worked it through. 
and the, the two guys are slapping high five laters. We're breaking down the stuff from, from our service. And he came up to me and he goes, that was the greatest thing I've ever been through. <laughs> and I was like, wow, really? I mean, that, you know. But he, the relational alignment is so key because who cares what we believe theologically if two of the leaders in my church don't love each other and don't get along? How can they lead anybody if those two have odd against each other? It's what Jim was talking about. Jesus would say, go leave your sacrifice, go leave your stuff and go iron it out. So keeping people on the same page relationally and, and getting along and being committed one to another, to me is the primary, but it's the hardest one to do. Because we're people and we have sin natures, and the last thing, this man, John, that he wanted to do was go hash it out with a guy that he was probably going to have a... He was scared to death. But to me, there's that's the hardest, but but most important, because without that, we don't have anything. So that's, that's to me, what's been the most difficult, but we have to do it and hold that line. That's really good. Jim, would you maybe um, add on to that what's been the most difficult um, or also the most well, important? first of all, um, every one of them, <laughs> right? Um, the devil has attacked theologically to try to divide over words. Um, over, you know, arguing about, you know. And again, Paul was dealing with people, don't follow wives' tales, don't argue about words, don't. I mean, so there'll be guys who come in and be divisive and try to lead you astray. I mean, so Scripture supports that that happens, and and it's happened. Uh, Philosophically, people want to be a part of the church, but they don't want to get to know each other. And, you know, I had to have a leader... Ask an elder to step down not, not that long ago, a couple of years ago, because he loved the theology, but he didn't know anybody and didn't want to know anybody and wouldn't make the time for that. So, and again, it's, as the head goes, the body follows. If you're not going to do that, and, our, and the cool thing is that's not stop me. Our entire eldership and staff fights for those things. After a while, you beat that drum enough, people own it. The culture, they stick out like a sore thumb. So we've had to do that. The the relational alignment is constant. That I mean, that is. I, I, people always come and go. How do you guys get along so well? It's because we've had a lot of fights. We didn't get there without fights. I don't think you know who your real friends are until there's been a fight. Will you fight for our relationship? Will you will you courageously face me down personally rather than talk about me behind my back? And will I do the same for you? Do I love you enough and care about our relationship enough that we're going to go talk this out? And beating that drum constantly because the devil divides that way. You know, um, organizationally, you know, once that's set and everybody kind of owns it, um, the, the big battle there is are we, are we set up as an organization to, to get the results Systematically, are we set up so that the results we want is what we're actually getting? And so, you know, there have been all kinds of adjustments we've had to make organizationally because our core values and who we are is set. And if the system isn't pouring out there and it's pouring out over here, then how do we move the whole system so that that and so? But again, alignment drives all those things. So that all of them. But again, um, 
I think the one that is the most constant is the relational one. I, I think one just important part that you're saying with the, the organizational piece, typically um, the churches I know, you know we've worked with and spent time with and all of that, leaders typically want to jump right to the organizational piece. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's easier, but it's almost easier. It's, it's a lot easier to draw it on a whiteboard and talk about, well, how should our ministries align and all those kinds of things. With back, back to what we're talking about, that relational piece, yet they're relationally disconnected. Or the senior, you know, the senior pastor wants to talk about how do you structure your small groups and what curriculum should we use, and they're not themselves in a small group. Yeah. You can't lead your organization if you're not yourself first in it, or none of the elders are, and it's for everybody else in the church or whatever. And so, you know, that peace organization, I think that is a byproduct or comes out of if we're aligned theologically, relationally, and philosophically, then it's much easier to build a structure around that. That's, anyway. Yeah, that, that, that the whole, one of the things that we try to do is, as a pastor, I oversee the whole system as the leader, right? But I'm in a home group. So now I submit myself to the community pastor over the region. So as a, as a home group leader, also, I'm under the authority of a pastor. And... The only, if I don't do that, then I don't really understand whether our system is working or not working. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because um, if I'm not submitted and experience what it's like to be a home group leader under his leadership, then I don't know whether the organizational system is structured so that the home group leaders are getting what they need. So when I talk about relationship alignment, I'm also talking about the ability as a senior pastor not to be the dictator, but to relationally discuss together. I, I believe that we are better as a team when I experience and add your gifts and my gifts together. We love each other. We respect each other's gifts so that together we come up with a perspective. Does that make sense? And then, then I experience your leadership as a part of the system that I'm submitting to. And so there's, there's mutual submission that happens in this. And then when that happens, um, people start to go, I have gifts and abilities that are needed by the body too. And, and I have things that can, can add too. And, and it, it, that keeps the relationship, uh, a relationship of love and, and friendship. Uh, one of the big problems I see with senior pastors is um, they, they don't have accountability in their family, their church family, because they don't understand how they can be accountable to somebody be, be their boss at the same time. How does that work? And I, and I admit that's messy, but on our staff, I got guys who are better at parenting, better at marriage, better at their gifts are, they're better at certain things than I am. And so what does mutual submission and relationship look like? Um, that 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 the reason that a lot of times people have a hard time submitting is, is that I think they've experienced poor leadership, people who lord it over them rather than do life with them, and and so there's this balance of authority that plays a part in that as well for pastors. That's good, and I'm gonna point this question at you, Brandon, but for everybody to be thinking about to discuss what. He's kind of alluded to some of the benefits of, of fighting for alignment. What, what might be some other benefits or what have been some benefits that you've experienced uh, 
in, in, in your journey of, of, of alignment? Yeah, Jim did. He, he alluded to it. Um, we've talked a lot about at Real Life, and we, we've trained on it and talked on it, the, the issue of unity. In John chapter 17, and Jesus' words and his prayer for us, and I've really now planting, I've really spent a lot of time in that. And it's just fascinating to me how much effort the church puts on outreach. I mean, and, and at, at real life we did. We did a lot of outreach events. And whether it be the crusade type thing, whether it's these big evangelistic, and, and those things aren't necessarily bad at all. But at the end of the day, Jesus' prayer for us is that we would be one. And he said, if, if they will be one, then the whole world will come to know. And for some reason in the church, we have lost this idea that our greatest by far, our greatest evangelistic tool that we possess as a church is unity. It's not our outreach events, although those things are fine. But if we would just get along and love each other and care for each other, then I believe the Lord looks and goes, I can send people there because there isn't fighting, backbiting, and harming and hurting of my sheep. I will send people to you. God's, that's God's part is to send people, to draw people and we've kind of got that, I think, jacked up a little bit. And I think that is, has been um, just such an important benefit, um, an important win, is if we will just focus on doing what Jesus actually prays for. And, and I think, you know, if you look at it go, why did he pray for unity? I think that's the hardest thing for us to do. That's why he prayed for it. And so I think as leaders in the church, and, and, and Jim has been over the years to he and I together has fought for that so hard and taught me that, that we have to fight for unity in the church. Um, and because people's salvation depend on it. And so I think that's, you know, this, this whole idea of being aligned and, and those things, we, we, that's where I'm camping right now and, and, and really, and hopefully forever, focusing on that with the people in our church. That's great. Thanks, Brandon. A couple of benefits <clears throat> that I've experienced uh, of being aligned. Um, the first one is movement, that you feel forward progress. You can actually feel that as a system. You can feel the, the church moving forward and making progress, and it's thrilling. It's thrilling to move forward together as one unit and to celebrate together and to, and to high-five in the end zone and say God has done it again, and He's and we're all we've, we've all been at the table for this. Uh, when we do like a, a year in review together, and we look back and we look, wow, could could we have done? Could we have added this many leaders? Could we have equipped this many home group leaders? Could we have uh, assimilated uh, this many people that God has sent? Uh, had we not been unified, then the, the answer would have been no. I've I've been in that other system where. Alignment was a pipe dream, and unity was this elusive thing that never came. And it felt like perpetual stuckness. It just we could not move. And it drove the natural-born leaders in the church, it just drove them crazy, and they couldn't stay there because no, we, we never moved. Like, where, what are we doing? Are we just meeting to meet here? Or, or are, we, are we aiming at anything here? Or are we just playing church? And... Uh, Another great benefit 
of alignment is, is what I would call a depressurized work environment. Like you get there and it feels good to be here. From the, from the moment you get to the parking lot and you see your coworkers' cars, you're like, I'm glad I get to work here with them. Mm. And I, that's a really good feeling. And it's, it, it's probably more rare than, than people want to admit mm-hmm. in their churches. Uh, but in the going to meetings, even though I don't think there are any like, anybody on our staff that loves meetings, we genuinely love being together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, I just think it's priceless. It's fun. Yeah. That's great, Josh. Well, again, um, when... Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 12 and, you know, Romans 12. He's talking about gifts and abilities. And what, what's Paul's desire? He wants everyone to use their gifts to edify the body. He wants everyone's gifts to be used so that together they come up with better ideas and, and strength to, to carry on the projects that they set forth to do uh, as, as the body outside the walls. When, when we understand, when I'm not competing with you as a person who's geared towards evangelism, and I'm more geared towards discipleship, when we, we, we go, you're more geared towards evangelism, but you accept and need the discipleship part of that, and I need the event, and we together participate together using our gifts and abilities in relationship, there's where the movement comes from. Because everybody's got differing views, right? But we respect and love and accept those other views. And we go, how does my view fit with your view rather than compete with your view? And how do we do it together? Again, I think we get, when we're together, we get better ideas. We have better capability. But here's the part of being together unified that that so many people miss. I've made it through my life with all these crazy projects and things we've done. With the strength that comes from God, God's spirit, God's word, and God's people. God answers prayers through people. God gives support through people. You know, a lot of times we, we pray and you know, we want to be like the clampets. You know, we're certain financially and we find oil in the backyard. You know, God just oil in the backyard. That's not how God works typically, right? He works when, when we're hurting. God uses somebody to minister to us. When we're down, you know, uh, it, it's somebody who speaks. It, I, and first of all, you know I'm down because you know me well enough. It's so interesting. I walk into the church. If I'm down, I don't have to say a word. They know me so well, they're like in my office going, what's going on? What's going on? I can tell something's up. What can I pray about? What do you, what's happening? When you, when you have people that care about you and you care about them, the strength to actually pull off the job comes from that. God uses... I don't know how I get would get through all that we go through at our church and in my own personal life without... I can't even imagine how that would have been possible. Do you understand? Not only did we come up with better ideas together, but the strength that came through God's people in my life to actually pull off the crazy things or to deal with the failures... You understand what I'm saying? I mean, how do you do it? And I just feel so bad for people that are lonely in the faith because that was never God's plan. That's not the faith. That's not abundant life. 
Abundant life doesn't mean you don't have problems. It means when you go to the valley of the shadow of death, God is with you. But how is God with you? Oftentimes through brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, so you think about John 15 says, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you will do nothing, right? Well, if the church is the body of Christ, to abide in Christ means that you abide in the church too. If it's just you and Jesus, you're missing abiding in relationship with other believers that we were supposed to have. You get what I'm saying? And so fighting for unity and an understanding of what church is. It's not just that we're missional. and Right now the big missional movement is out there. and Everybody wants to do something. And, and I agree we do something. But I've dealt with a bunch of missional churches that are they're, they're busy doing stuff. But then it's a fad and they burn out. The churches that are actually doing stuff together in relationship, they're being poured into through the Spirit of God in relationship so they can be poured out of. If all you're doing is being poured out of and not being poured into through relationship, you're burnt out. I had to tell one church, you guys, how are you guys doing? Oh, the church has grown like crazy. I go, no, how are you doing spiritually? Oh, we're tired. We're fried. Well, let me ask you a question. How much are you emphasizing doing relationship with each other? Not just doing the task, but stopping and praying and getting to know each other. See, if you do the task with people, there's pouring out, there's pouring in. That's why Jesus always sent people out by twos. That's why they went out in relationship, because there's strength that comes from doing it together. So, I'm, uh, I just don't know how people do it. I know they do, but they typically end up being cynical and bitter. Uh, one of the things I like to do is I like to help pastors who have been fried. And I have two pastors that both of them have been ministers for 30 years in my home group right now. Both of them got booted out of ministry, quit ministry. And they're, so they're in my home group. And we were just sharing for the first week, two weeks ago. And both of them, uh, the topic was relationship. And what, what do we want our group to be like? And both of them said in the group. One of, one of them, One's wife said it. The other pastor said it, said, I don't trust people. I've been in ministry for 30-some years, and I don't trust any of you all. And they were, I was going, thanks for being honest. And so the people in my home group, most of them have all been saved in our church, are going, how does that happen? How can those guys be in ministry that long and they don't trust anybody? They don't, they're afraid of people. Why are they afraid of people? What's happened there? You know, that's not you and Lori. That's not the people that I know in our church. Why? Because they came from churches where they had to be perfect. They couldn't be. They got picked apart. Relationship wasn't the point. It was, you know, theology only. Right? Or doing something. It was battle. It was... And you just, I just, you just feel horrible for them. And my hope is that they'll experience some healing. And then so at some point, because they're both gifted. Mm-hmm. At some point, they'll get back in the game with a new perspective. But... When you've been in ministry for 35 years, should you really be... What kind of system must you have come from to be beaten up, terrified, wounded, hurt? Right? I mean, shouldn't the church be a place where you you just can't imagine being without them? Mm -hmm. Well, what went wrong there? What's happened? Why do we have pastors that are so lonely that they're committing suicide? Or what's gone on? Should that be what the result of being in the church? 
Is that, is that God's church? And then you wonder why the lost people don't want anything to do with it. Something's wrong. Can I chime in here? Mm-hmm. So Duke University, you may know this, they did a long-term study on the physical and the emotional health of clergy uh, in the mid-2000s. And when the, you, can, you can find this online easily. And it's, um, it's in a peer-reviewed journal uh, somewhere, and it's, it's unbelievably thorough. And it's also incredibly discouraging. And it, it just bears witness to everything you're saying, Jim. It basically says that the, um, the average pastor uh, is woefully unhealthy. Uh, compared to the average person that's not in you know not a religious professional so to speak uh, isolation suicide addiction mental illness um, and all sorts of other things uh, and, and the body bags physical and spiritual are everywhere and how do pastors pastors give what they have that's right so what is that going to mean it means toxic church systems uh, all over the country. Uh, and and the, the check engine light on the current Western expression of the church has been blinking for so long now uh, that it's time to change. And, and this, is, this, is the an- this is the antidote to it. It's the only known antidote to these problems is intentional relational Yeah, I wrote this new book, The Power of Together, Yeah, because of what I see in pastors and people around the country. They're, it's just, uh, it breaks my heart. And Jesus promised that we would have abundant life when we were a part of his church. And we would take ground. You know, if you go to Acts 2, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. They sold their possessions to, to give to whoever had need. They met together in the temple courts from house to house. And it says they enjoyed the favor of all the people. They experienced awe and relationship. They enjoyed the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right? Uh, so often we want to be a doing church instead of a being church first. And it's out of the being, the overflow of the being comes to doing. It's like you want to do so much for the Lord, but you don't spend time with the Lord, abiding in Christ. And we start watering the fields of with poisoned water. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so for me, this concept of relationship again with God and with others and the overflow of better ideas... Better return for our labor. Two are better than one. We get a better return for our labor. When one falls down, the other will help him up. When it's cold, there's intimacy. When there's an enemy, we fight for each other. But that's a lack of discipleship. It, or we've been discipling people with the wrong things. You know, in Power of Together, I talk about a guy who came to our church. He's known for being a brilliant teacher. And he's bounced around from church to church to church. And so he came to our church. I saw him, met with him. And I knew him right away, and I said, uh, what's going on? He goes, well, I'd like to come to your church with my class. i got about 100 people that will follow me at the different churches. I said, I know. You've been to every church. And I said, so uh, I said, so, um, you want to come and speak at our church? 
you want me to give you a Sunday school class and all that, and you're going to bring these people, and a lot of them make money and bring money in and all that. And I said, let me ask you a question. You bounced around from church to church to church. Tell me what. Tell me why you left that church. Every time it was a theological issue that they didn't, they wouldn't accept his authority, or he was teaching something different, and it wouldn't. Would be, tell me how you left. Do you have a relationship with those people? So I just said, dude, here's how it's going to work. Um, you're not going to teach in our church. You're going to go to a home group. You're going to be under somebody else's authority. You're going to, when, when you become an apprentice and a leader under a very strong leader, and they think you're worthy, and then our coaches, our volunteer coaches, and our, our staff says, you know what, this guy loves well, works through things well, then I'll let you teach a class. Until then, because I don't care what you know, you're immature. You fight for the wrong things. Everything he said that they were fighting over, were none of them were salvation issues, first bucket issues. None of them were even second bucket issues, but they were important to him, important enough to fight over and leave a church over. He never once went to somebody humbly and said, how do we work this out in relationship? It's, you listen to what I say, because I'm an expert, and I'll take my hundred people. I don't want, this is the product. And we've got to do something different. We've got to go back to Scripture, not just on theology issues, but on relational issues. The same God who gave us right theology also commanded that we speak, we get rid of falsehood, we speak truthfully to each other, that we stop stealing and share, have something to share, that we don't let the sun go down on our anger and give the devil a foothold, that we are completely humble and gentle and compassionate with one another, that we forgive whatever grievances we have, and we work through the same God who gave us our theology, gave us our direction for life and doctrine. Hold to your life and doctrine tightly. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll be saved, and so will your hearers. We've, we've held to the doctrine, but not to the life part. And so, that's the alignment I'm talking about. And you alluded to a, the conversation you had with that gentleman that makes me think about, and if you'd answer this as well, what has been the, the we talked about the benefits, but what's the, what's the cost related to fighting for alignment? And what have you experienced? Oh, I've been hurt many times. But I've also been blessed many times. You know, um, to, to, um, to dive in, not everybody's willing to fight for that relationship. You know, people want to take their ball and go home. They want to be immature. They want to, and and and, and so often I get why pastors go. I'm not doing that anymore. It hurts. I'm not letting anybody close. That's one option, right? The other option is to go. I will choose to be obedient to the Lord. Holy Spirit, fill me. Help me to choose again to forgive and to work this out and to fight for this. And uh, there's nothing easy about it because a lot of times, you know, there's all kinds of organizational issues and agendas, but you have to go, none of that is important as this, right? Because um, uh, the relationship part, you know, in all of our staff meetings, do we have anything in here right now that we need to bring? Did I do anything? Did you do anything? Let's deal with it. Let's deal with that first. Yeah, but Jim, we got an agenda. We got all this, you know. Listen, God can take care of all that. I'm not saying that you don't take care of all that. I'm just saying if this doesn't, this isn't right, God isn't going to honor that. It's like moving chairs on, a, on the Titanic. Right? Um, we got to get, we got to, we got to fix the holes, then we can move the chairs. 
right? And so the alignment piece, the wisdom to know what is most important. And, um, you know, Brandon is one of the closest friends and brothers I've ever had. And him and I have been through so many fights with each other. (laughs) And, oh my goodness, but here's what, what the safe part, the trust part comes when I know that he loves me so much that he will tell me what I need to hear rather than just what I want to hear. And he'll stick with me even if, I, if I'm, for a time, you know, he's not going to go, well, you didn't listen to me and I'm right and I'm gone. No, it's like, all right, I told you the truth. I'm going to love you anyway even though you're wrong. Because I'm committed to you and we're going to let the Holy Spirit work in this situation. But I know that I don't have to wonder is Brandon upset with me and not going to talk to me? Is, is our friendship conditional? I don't... You know, I just don't have to worry about that. And, I, oh, yeah, I, I th- yeah, I think, you know, your question mm-hmm. is cost, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, one, what Jim's saying is right. Never once, because of what we've been through and fought through and stuck through it, never once ever in my mind have, would I ever question, does Jim have my back? Not once. My wife knows no matter what. Jim and I may disagree. We may fight, which we have. We may argue, duke it out, that whole thing. But never once has it ever crossed my or my wife's, even my kids' mind, does Jim not have my back or do I not have his back no matter what we're going through. The cost when you commit to me to that kind of relationship is not everybody commit will commit to that. And so you do lose people along the way or people get uncomfortable or people don't want to fight through the fights that you have to go through. And so the cost, and that's, <clears throat> Jim talked about this yesterday, is, and, and I talk about this now in our plant, is the hill we are going to die on is Jesus' method and his message. It, it, no matter, at the end of the day, who comes or stays or, or whatever, are we going to die on that hill or not? And for you in ministry, again, kind of what you were talking about yesterday, what are you doing it for? The approval and praises of man or of God? And, and that's something that we had to learn and go, look, at the end of the day, if nobody else is around, it's Jonathan and the armor bearer. We're going up that doggone hill together and going to go fight, whether anybody goes or not, because of what Jesus has done and what we're committed to doing. And people fall away. People don't, you find out, don't have your back. People don't stay committed to it. And you and you have to just go, well, it, but I know what God's done. I know what he's called me to do. And I have to fight for this and I will fight for it. And so, you know, I think the cost that I've seen is you have to be okay with not everybody is going to choose this. And then not moving to the extreme of, well, then forget it. Right, right. And, and because what we're doing is right it's theologically correct. It's philosophically correct. And we fight for it no matter what. So that's been, to me, the, the, a, a painful cost. As you guys talk about the cost, I, I'm rolling through stories uh, from my own life. And I keep thinking that, yeah, the costs are high. They're really intense. Like, this is an intense way of doing life and doing church. It's not something you can just detach from and wind it up and walk away from. It's, it's just that's not it. You go all the way in, and you're 
eyeball to eyeball with people all the time. And sometimes it gets really intense. But the cost of not being aligned is so much greater. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's the, the, the pain of not being aligned is, is infinitely greater, has been for me, than the pain uh, that, 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 that comes with the work, the ongoing and never-ending work of maintaining and fighting for unity. And so I think about the costs of not being aligned and uh, or not uh, the cost of being uh, a part of a system that's destined to fail because if you're not doing intentional relational discipleship if you've not if you've not synced up your life and your plan with Jesus it will fail and it is meaningless and you've given yourself to a cause that has a shelf life the only cause at the end of history that will still be going on and that will ultimately matter is the cause of making disciples of Jesus all other options amount to a wasted life. Now that is unthinkable and tragic, yes. So why not fight for alignment and unity in your church to make sure you're, you're doing what Jesus did the way he did it and why he did it? At all costs, make sure you're fighting for that rather than drift over into something that's tragic and awful and wasteful. I want to hear, you know, Eddie, you've been, you keep got saved in our church, mm-hmm. and you've been there a long time. What do you think about all of what, I, what I'm saying? Do you really want to know? Yes. <laughs> you know, actually, I'm, I'm glad you asked um, regarding something you said, and actually something, Brandon, that you said uh, when you were actually sharing about the guy that was trembling and having to go into that conversation. It actually took me right back to a moment when... <laughs> When I was a, I was a volunteer at our church, I would think I was I was a brand new uh, home group leader at the time. That means I was three years into my walk, and uh, I was in a in, in a home group, and we had a great group of people. Did dinner together every week, just a just a really tight group, and uh, a theological issue came up in our group, and I three years in to my walk, and now I'm this new group leader. I'm the youngest guy in the group, and I've got a group. I was I think I was 24, 25, something like that. I had people into their mid-60s in our group. A lot more experience in the group than me. This issue came up, and although I was nervous, I was the trembling guy because I had somebody investing into my life. I had a coach that was coaching me that was a volunteer as well. I had been through our 101, which went through all these key areas of alignment. It had been beat into my brain so many times. You know, I always heard about the time that you get sick of hearing it is the time that you actually hear it. Uh, It got beaten in my head so many times, I knew how to handle my situation. And actually, as a volunteer in my church, I had confidence to come in and say, I I need to address this issue. I addressed it outside of the group with these folks. I didn't know how it was going to go. I didn't know if they'd leave the group. In fact, I thought they really would. They not only heard me in my heart, but thanked me for addressing it with them. Uh, and even though we were going to differ on this issue, they still were willing to fight for that relationship and be a part of the group, which said so much to me because I think for me the confidence that I got from that, not only to be able to address that, but that my church had some stuff figured out, um, but also I knew that if I did it poorly, if I misrepresented it, that I knew 
those that were in relationship with me and coaching me had my back, which is a high value for me. And so as, I, as you guys were sharing that, I just, it took me right back to that scenario and uh, thinking about that. And that has transcended, I know, my journey of being a volunteer, coming on staff, serving in several roles on staff of the value of alignment. Josh, you alluded to it. The, the cost of not fighting for it far outweighs the hard conversations you got to have here and here and then to actually pursue what Jesus wants for us in each of our ministries and our church. And what do we want to be known for outside of the walls? Not necessarily just inside the walls, but what are we going to be known for outside of the walls? And that unity is going to scream loud. So thanks for asking. Well, I, <laughs> in both cases, I'm hearing you guys say, yeah, coaches, you, the guy that you said you got to go talk about this. Well, he knew he needed to go talk about it because you guys have talked about it, right? What do you do when there's a disagreement? And now he's trembling because he knows he has to. He comes to you goes, I'm scared. And you're like, you can do it. You can do it. You know, first go to him and I'll help you. Let's debrief it, right? So there's coaching in it. Same for you, right? Mm-hmm. Because here's the deal. This isn't taught in the world. In the world, when people get upset, they take their ball and go home or they get in a fist fight or they do whatever, right? Even in the church, People just either fight like the devil for the things of God, or they, or they just, I'm out of here, right? It's not, they don't actually have honest, humble conversations. It's not actually taught as a part of discipleship. Because discipleship is theological. But most of the New Testament deals with how do you deal with problems? Right in, in Ephesians, my favorite passage, he says, in your anger, don't sin. He's not saying you might somehow, someday, get angry at somebody in the church. He's saying, no, you're going to. In your anger, don't mm-hmm. sin. Anger will be a part of your relationships. Don't, don't you go deal with it quickly. Don't give the devil a foothold. He's, he's, they were teaching, how do you have relationship at every step of the way? That is a part of discipleship. Not just theology, not just how to use your gifts to be a good, effective leader, but how to interact in a broken, sinful world. And our job to keep alignment means that we have to teach people and model for people how do you respond when somebody has a problem with you. Do you get defensive? Or are you grateful that they had the courage to come to you rather than run away and hide? Do you support that? Do you encourage that? I mean, how do we deal together with having relationship? Because that, that art is lost. Friendship is now on a Facebook, friend or unfriended. Right? That's true. We have just a really short amount of time left up here uh, for our forum. And if, if you could just give a brief encouragement, each of you, to the, to the crowd here regarding this topic, what would that be? I'll start with you, Brandon. What would you encourage the crowd here with um, regarding this, this topic? I, I think um, I would say to not, over, not um, overthink this, overanalyze it. And I would in, just encourage you to look at who immediately is around you and um, to start your alignment there, um, to not think big picture organizational, but look, maybe it's your staff, maybe it's your immediate, maybe it's elders or w- whatever your immediate team is. 
And I would just encourage you to not overthink it and start there. Build the relationships there. Invest there. And allow God to grow it um, from that point. But um, Jim said yesterday, aim small, miss small. Um, it, it, it might be with the one person you're on staff with or wh- whoever. But just start there and, and then allow God to move that. That will change the culture um, faster than trying to go big picture. Um, and just start there. Aim small. That's great. Thank you. I would encourage you to first think about alignment on a deep personal level between, um, I know we've we've been talking about this horizontally, but vertically with Jesus and to make that your number one priority in life and your family and whatever role you have in the church, your most indispensable tool, it's not your education, it's not your experience, it's not your wisdom, and it's not your, uh, your gifts It's your heart. And to make sure that your heart is in alignment with Jesus, it's the most indispensable part of what we do. So I would, I would, I would rearrange, if if you haven't already, rearrange your entire life to maximize your experience of and enjoyment of the tangible presence of Jesus in your everyday life. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. This audio is adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.